to the Dinosaurus, the Bare Bones Dinosaur Edutainment Podcast. I'm your host, Michaela Marshall. And I'm your host, David Lindley. And this week, we're talking about feathers. But before we do that, Michaela, yeah. we've made a lot of noise about state fossils or even state dinosaurs Ooh, before have, on this yeah. podcast. Generally earlier, because we've typically <laughs> gone from, like, better known <laughs> to less well-known. Yes, and I would say. the less well-known are not state dinosaurs for whatever Indeed. reason. Especially as we get into, like, the European and Chinese mm. taxa. It's not really Mm-mm. appropriate. Anyway, we've made a lot of noise about this. I've listened to some back episodes of a podcast called Let's Make a Music, and it has taught me that the average state has so many symbols. <laughs> it's wild. There is a website, statesymbolsusa.org, that lists out a bunch of nonsense. I have no idea how reliable it is, but I've done some double checking. Yeah. Utah is listed as having a state cooking pot. What? What? Can you imagine what the state cooking pot is? <laughs> like, they're so specific. There's like, uh, it, I don't think it's Utah, but there's state grape, uh, sorry, state wine grapes. Like, like they get so specific. And And I think, like, is it something to do with I mean, this idea of, like, nationalistic pride that sort of also translates to state pride and saying, well, our state has this thing and that makes our state great. So this is our state's cooking pot. I think so. I just don't know what else it could be. Right? And, like, this is official from what I can tell. Like, this has gone across an official desk, all of these things. They're nonsense. There is a... (laughs) There's a very good episode of Let's Make Music. It's called Utah Industry. And the song in it is just them listing out a bunch of the state symbols. And it's great. And they do list the uh, state fossil Allosaurus in it. I was very pleased to hear that. Yeah. But, like, there's the state astronomical symbol, which is, of course, the beehive cluster. Because Utah is the beehive state. (laughs) I learned a lot more about Utah than I wanted to, I'd say. Yeah. Huh. Like, like we have provincial flowers. Right. So I looked into this because we're in Canada and we have provinces. that's my next thought, obviously. I'm like, well, how, what about Canada? So we have uh, a provincial flower in Ontario. Um, I think we might have a provincial animal because I think it's the common loon. Oh, that Uh, makes sense. We have a couple of things, but really nothing approaching the scale. We've got like five things max, and I think that includes our official seal. Yeah. Like, like, I think flower or like some kind of plant Mm -hmm. And animal are pretty common That things. seems totally standard. State cooking pot? <laughs> what? <sighs> like, uh, I just... Like, this implies that there are many kinds of cooking pots. Let's start there, right? Oh, it's a Dutch oven, by the way. Oh, Did I reveal that? Oh, you didn't. Okay, yeah, Dutch uh, oven. Didn't want to keep you in suspense. Utah has a state uh, mineral, a state gem, and a state rock. And they are <laughs> copper, topaz, and coal in that order. So when you said state mineral, I was on board. Because, mm-hmm. like, that to me, you got a plant, you got an animal, you got a mineral. Absolutely. Cool. But, like... Animal, vegetable, mineral. You're exactly. All the three categories. Those are the categories. That makes sense to me. But then you said gem, and I thought, isn't, isn't, isn't that, that a mineral? They said and rock. rock. And I thought, well, that maybe that's a bit different. We could ask our resident geologist to describe the, the difference to us. Wouldn't be relevant to this podcast, so maybe later. But I don't know that you need all three. I guess <laughs> it's maybe where I'm going with that yeah. very long sentence. One of the states has a state fruit and vegetable, and it is the tomato, because they didn't want to really come down on a fruit or vegetable side of that argument. So they just cop? That's a cop-out. <laughs> Isn't it a a fruit? Haven't we decided? I mean, taxonomically, yes, but in popular knowledge or consciousness, no. So they... uh, Tomatoes are pretty sweet. They split the difference. Sometimes I'll just, like, bite a tomato. Dinosaurs! (laughs) (laughs) This week we're talking about feathers. 
bit of digression. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Feathers. Michaela, dinosaurs had feathers and, in fact, still do. Deal with it. This has made a number of people upset. That's why I told them to deal with it. I was preempting that. We're going to take a look at a couple things. Uh, Hopefully quickly we can blast through these things because I've written a bunch about the history of feather discovery and I don't think much of it is interesting. I started to get a bit into the weeds of like different types of feathers. Oh, I don't even have like a what is a feather because that we'll talk about it a bit. Yeah, I just was like, nope, don't want anything to do with this. It's rough. Yeah. Okay. So 1860. European gentlemen started to find or become aware of fossils of Archaeopteryx with its feathers preserved in the beautiful Solnhofen Lagerstätte. It's very clearly a bird. It's got wings and feathers and stuff. That's great. But it's also clearly not a bird as it had teeth, which birds (laughs) don't have, and a long lizard-like tail as well as a few like other anatomical quirks. So this was described at the time as being a bird with Sauriscian affinities or reptilian affinities, which is the most garbage weasel word science I've ever heard. Yeah, and it just, uh, it's so hand-wavy, and was this an English person that said affinities? Oh, yeah. yeah, definitely. Sounds this like is Richard it. Owen, right? Oh, yeah. And he's just a jerk, and we don't like him for many reasons, this being one of them. Thomas Henry Huxley took this as evidence as birds descending from dinosaurs. Basically, everyone else for the next hundred years was just like, who knows? Doesn't matter. We've got more interesting things to study, as we talked about in our Dinosaur Renaissance episode a while ago. Poor Thomas Henry Huxley's over here being like, but wait, (laughs) this is neat. And no one really cared, which is bonkers to me, because it's such a a formative and interesting interesting fossil and just no one cared so depressing it's so depressing (laughs) people did care like uh, charles darwin was very excited about it he thought that it validated a lot of his ideas i think it does yeah Yeah, to some extent (laughs) but it basically had no bearing on how we thought about things until about the 1960s which is when john ostrom and robert backer are kicking off the dinosaur renaissance but they're still drawing dinosaurs like deinonychus as being scaly and naked which looks terrifying deinonychus and a lot of the other Manoraptorans have these terrifyingly long hands. Their hands are very scary. They're so spooky. But it makes a lot of sense once you realize that these are better described as wings and would mostly be feathered, like covered yeah. with feathers in life. But they're just so much sillier with feathers. Okay, we'll talk about this. We've got a whole thing about why people don't like feathers. Yeah. They look like a bird's wing. If you picture them as a bird's wing, Makes then you don't see the creepily long fingers mm-hmm. that they have and it just looks like a normal wing on a bird. And you're like, that sounds great. In 1996, there was an absolute banger of an SVP talk. We've talked about this before as well, when Phil Curry showed off photos of the Sinosauropteryx fossil that had been found in China. We talked right. about this with Sinosauropteryx. Yep. It was found with fuzz on it, this proto-feather type stuff, and we'll probably talk about that, but like feathery dinosaur mm-hmm. uh, preserved as a fossil. Very cool. Although, again, Archaeopteryx predated this by like 100 so plus long. years. Yeah. 130 yeah. at least. I'm not 100% clear on the history either, but it seems like it was probably against the wishes of Chinese authorities. And That's I feel like my recollection of it, yes. I feel like both sides are in the wrong here where like mm. it's kind of a jerk move to be like no one can know about this fossil except us and then it's also definitely a jerk move to be like look at these crazy pictures i took illegally yeah it is 
And I mean, maybe I'm biased, but to me, the person who is trying to share what seems to be pretty pertinent information with a large group of people is more in the right. Okay, yeah. And I think a lot of people will come on different sides of that, depending on whether you are in China or not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, after this news broke, more and more feathered specimens started coming out of China and elsewhere, and paleontologists started looking more closely at existing specimens and finding the like feather attachment points or the quill knobs on the arm bones of a lot of dinosaurs. And at that point, it's really started blowing up and being like, maybe a lot of dinosaurs had feathers. Yeah. Maybe, like, maybe like most or all of them. Up to a point, up to a size. So so what are feathers good for? Why would you have feathers? To look cool. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I will say to preface this, asking for just one thing is very misleading. Evolution hates single-use parts. No, oh, yeah. Because making a new thing is so much harder than adapting an existing thing to serve a new purpose. Yes. So I would say that feathers probably one of the best reasons for developing them in the first place is trapping heat. Yep. It keeps yourself warm and you also gain this really nice property of being able to put your feathered wings over your nest of eggs oh, yeah. and keep them warmer as well. Nice little blanket. Exactly. And it keeps them warmer and makes them develop faster and be healthier overall. Cool. Looking cool is not something that we can blow past though <laughs> because once you have feathers for heat, someone's like, hey, look at my cool striped feathers. And you're like, and, oh. Right? Everyone's just like, stripes. wow. Stripes. I never would have thought of doing stripes. And suddenly that striped dinosaur, much more attractive to all the other dinosaurs. That's right a lot more opportunities to reproduce making a lot more eggs and those babies are more likely to be striped stripes everywhere and interesting patterns abound here right especially with the early feathers that aren't quite so orderly we're not really like um in the really cool patterns that we see on a lot of birds today owls for instance are extremely well camouflaged mm -hmm. but their ability to do that might be linked more to the the like ordered style of their feathers rather than just being covered in a bunch of downy feathers right which are just like sort of crazy yeah all the place they are yeah uh but like often you hear the argument like what uses half an eyeball as, as we're talking about evolution right, right right and i think this applies to feathers like what uses half a feather if feathers are good for flying what uses half a feather and the truth is flying is like the last thing that they were good yeah, for definitely they are really good for flying don't get me wrong humans cannot fly <laughs> for a number of reasons feathers is like real low on that list though <laughs> i would put our our dumb heavy bones oh our bones are so, <laughs> so dumb heavy. and heavy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Such a pain. <laughs> But feathers are really useful for flying. Yeah. Bats don't have feathers, but they have really different adaptations where they've just got these huge flaps of skin, which are gross to think about. Pterosaurs was the same thing. Big flaps of skin. Birds don't need those flaps of skin because they have feathers. Yeah. Very cool. So I think for the, maybe the first time ever, the answer to the question, what was this for, actually is thermoregulation. Species recognition. <laughs> yeah. And sexual display. It's, it literally is. It's all three of them. And it's great. <laughs> good <laughs> the only time that's it's, been true it's true <laughs> i don't want to say that a lot of people a lot of serious people have suggested that about other things but they're wrong <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first folks <laughs> just had to immediately backtrack on that okay <laughs> Who had feathers? Back in the deep past, back before yesterday, back before the meteor hit, who had feathers? Smaller dinosaurs. Yes, absolutely. We found direct evidence of it on smaller dinosaurs like Archaeopteryx, uh, Microraptor, um, and things that we'll talk about at, in Featured Creatures. Yeah. Uh, also Sinosauropteryx, uh, a few others. The thing that unites all of these is that they're all theropods. They're all the lineage right. that would lead to birds. Okay, so it seems like a lot of theropods. And even as we get bigger, we start 
finding quill knobs on larger things, mm-hmm. even larger than Velociraptor. Right. We're finding these quill knobs on things like Therizinosaurs, right? Um, potentially. And like, <laughs> it, it gets to a lot more speculation and guesswork here because we don't have, it's very rare to find fossils good enough to preserve feathers. But then we start asking like, hey, did most theropods or did all theropods? Did T-Rex have fe- feathers? That's what we want to know. Did T-Rex <laughs> have feathers? <laughs> and my answer to that is a solid maybe. Uh, we haven't found direct evidence of feathers on anything larger than Utyrannus, which is one and a half tons. Oh, so it's, it's not just small things that had feathers. It's pretty big. They could get pretty large. That's not to say that T-Rex didn't have feathers. We just don't know for sure that they did. Um, Maybe we, he just had like a cool mohawk of feathers. So this is actually something that could have been true. Yeah, they yeah. might have been highly localized to yeah. uh, on the head in certain places, possibly adorning the arms in certain ways, um, but not everywhere because we've also talked about the difficulties of getting big and then shedding heat in our thermoregulation episode or like we're dinosaurs warm-blooded episode um once you're big enough maybe it's disadvantageous to have feathers because you just need to stay cooler than that (laughs) even if your environment is fairly chilly yeah we do have some patches of preserved skin from t-rex which preserve scales and no feathers and we've got enough of them to sort of say oh it seems like they didn't but at the same time there are different taphonomic conditions that could mean that maybe you preserve scales but you are missing the feathers that initially existed and those have decayed away while the skin still leaves an Mm -hmm. impression or just something else happens to obliterate traces of feathers but still leave skin impressions at this point i would say it's a bit like the sail shape on spinosaurus just follow your heart if you want to go for like a curved semicircular sail or the m-shaped do whatever you want if you want to go for feathers on t-rex or not follow your heart if i want to say t-rex only had feathers right at the tip of its tail okay actually possible uh because I think Microraptor had like the diamond fan yeah, at the end of its yeah. tail. So that's something that we see in a lot of things, a lot of reconstructions, which doesn't have like the best evidence because I think mm-hmm. we mostly found it only in Microraptor, but it looks really cool in like Nouveau Dinosaur. <laughs> so you see it crop up a lot because it's popular. Yeah. And that yeah. just fuels its popularity, which is good. Uh, sauropods. Did sauropods have feathers? No. Not that we know of. Um, big spikes. We found a lot of big spikes. Uh, feathers. We haven't found any feathers. Does big spikes mean that they didn't have have feathers? No, no. They could have had both. Yeah. Unclear at this point. Uh, Ornithischians. Did they have feathers? So this is the third major clade of dinosaurs. Maybe. Yes. <laughs> 100% correct. Uh, Cetacosaurus had filaments on its tail, which are kind of, I want to say they're porcupine-like, but like that's, uh, it's not a metaphor. It's just a bad analogy. <laughs> and really, aren't bad analogies just metaphors? I don't know. <laughs> yes? No, they're not. Um, anyway, they're not actually uh, porcupine-like. They're very different structures, but in shape and size, they're kind sort of, of similar. Sort of gives you the idea Exactly, of it. yeah, yeah, yeah. We found a couple of others in this branch that had similar filaments. So, like, there's clearly something happening with the scales and the skin that make it seem like they're kind of feathery. Because <laughs> this also gets down to, like, what is a feather? Because mm. modern feathers have a central uh, quill or a rachis, and then a bunch of veins coming off of that. And the veins are either ordered for, like, contour feathers, or they're disordered for downy feathers. We don't have any feathers like that in anything outside of therapy. 
tetrapods. Okay. What we have are these straight filaments that might be analogous to feathers, but are also like just skin covering that it's useful to keep in mind when we're picturing these things or looking at them. Um, there's some evidence that Triceratops may have had like a rosette of, or like a circle of scales, and then a sort of uh, pyramid almost scale in the middle of that mm-hmm. with a single filament popping out of that, <laughs> which may, would have made it look a lot bigger and like oh, yeah. almost spikier in a way. Yeah. And could have done something for the intimidation factor of Triceratops. Unclear at this point. That's unsubstantiated. Like, I'm just really picturing, like, an antenna. But everywhere, right? Like, all over the back of this thing. That's true. A bunch of antennae. Yeah. And then, yeah, I guess it does look... It it just sort of magnifies the whole... It looks bigger than it is. Yeah. Yeah. Which might be useful, even for something like Triceratops, which is quite large. Pterosaurs don't have feathers, but seem to have been covered in pycnofibers. Oh, yes. There's the recent paper, or I'm not even sure it was a paper. There's the SVP talk by that uh, guy who said, oh, they don't have pycnofibers. It's all taphonomic bias, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't seem like that's true. But like the quills on Stachosaurus, it's been hypothesized that these are like the same basic structure as feathers, taken in a different direction. Right. So now we start to build up this idea that like the common ancestor of all dinosaurs and pterosaurs either had some sort of filamentous covering on it or uh, could have produced something like that from its scales very easily. Crocodiles don't have this, so we'll like take them out of the equation for now. But it seems like there was something advantageous about that and with one of the best things about feathers being or like filamentous covering being that it sort of helps you stay warm and maybe look makes you look a bit more intimidating Mm -hmm. to predators it's not uh out of the question that this would have been true yeah we've got a quick question uh that actually came from michelle that i'm interested in asking you to see if you have any intuition here all right she asked did any dinosaurs have wool or something similar could we have like spun uh (laughs) the results of shaving a dinosaur interesting Huh, I don't know. I mean, like, oh, I don't know that I know enough about the structure of wool. too. <laughs> so wool is the same thing basically as hair, but like, like I'm using like, basically to do a lot of heavy lifting there, <laughs> right? Like very, like more a lot thick and thicker and coarser yeah. than hair. So I mean, maybe, yeah, if like something was thick and coarse enough. And this is where I'm, I, I initially said no. Uh, we, like our hair is analogous to fur, is analogous to wool in that it's all, I think, alpha keratin. Um, right. So it's just made out of something completely different. And I think this is beta keratin for Maybe. the feathers and the, the quills here. Yeah. Uh, but like it's not out of the question that you would have been able to find something that you could shave mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that had like just sort of puffy floofs coming off of it. Yeah. Whether you could spin that, good. I have no idea because I don't really understand spinning that well. Because I think that like depends on how well things stick together once they've been uh, shaved and washed to some extent. Yeah, because I, I mean I know you shave the sheep and then you have to do a lot of brushing right. of the the, the wool, which I guess sort of makes the fibers, yeah, kind of like stick together in the same direction. And then you kind of twist them together. Yeah. Is that what spinning is? I think so. I think so. <laughs> so maybe we're not the best people to answer this. But yeah, I mean, maybe if the, these this sort of more downy stuff had that same property. I will say that no dinosaurs had fur. None of them had proper wool. The mammalian trait of having fur or hair or uh, wool is completely separate uh, and goes back a really long time, way before dinosaurs even showed up on the scene because uh, mammals are synapsids and uh, dinosaurs are diapsids, so it's a different number of holes in our skulls, and that traces its roots way back in time. Um, And even like early mammal ancestors 
ancestors wouldn't have had proper fur, probably. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, if something just has like fur rather than wool, can you spin that? Maybe. Like, can you, if your cat was shedding a lot. <laughs> I think you can spin like cat hair. I think it's incredibly fiddly and no one would want to do it. So you can definitely, I know you can felt it. <laughs> because right. I've seen something where someone took uh, a bunch of their cat's shedded hair and felted it into a little hat. Yeah. But then they would put on their I've cat. also seen this. Oh, yeah. that's adorable. And the cat yeah. looks so pissed. <laughs> Digression over. Why yeah. don't people like feathers on dinosaurs? Uh, because it's just less intimidating. Feathers look stupid. Because birds are dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Like, a chicken is not scary. Unless there's, like, a lot of them, I guess. I'm going to start this off by saying this is an emotional argument. And trying to counter it with logic is completely <laughs> unproductive. It won't work. And, like, there are cool birds. Like, a hawk is cool. So, yeah. Like, something that you'll see on the internet a lot is people saying uh, birds are dumb, chickens aren't scary, uh, feathered T-Rex isn't scary. And then a semi-common refutation of this is puppies aren't scary and they have fur. Therefore, lions and bears can't be scary because they also have fur by your logic which like uh, is such a, a, a well actually yeah. of an argument it's such a well actually that yeah. it, it doesn't work because it's not addressing the proper thing you can also yes point to any number of legitimately scary birds you've got cassowaries oh, yeah. eagles uh pretty much any bird of prey or an angry goose the cobra chicken the cobra chicken no yeah if someone's like hey i've trained this hunting bird to attack you i am very afraid at that point i thought you were gonna say hunting goose and i was very scared of both the animal <laughs> and the person who had trained it because trained that is it. a seriously deluded thing That's to do a deluded thing to do terrifying yeah i think i think the problem is that when when you ask me to think about a you know a t-rex with feathers the image that i conjure is dumb right and like that's on me absolutely actually i would argue that it's only partially on you and it's mostly up to the fact that there are some legitimately terrible works of paleo art <laughs> that under feather dinosaurs and make them look sad <laughs> Like, unbearably sad and depressing. And this has done a lot of negative work. Because there is just no end to people hearing Feathered Dinosaur making very bad paleo art. And that gets spread around a lot because it looks so dumb. Yeah, and people are like, oh, can you imagine how dumb it would be if dinosaurs have feathers? Look at this stupid thing. Exactly. It's bad. And like, I've got some more stuff to go back to eventually. I would say not all hope is lost here. Mm. Because this is actually a fairly positive thing. If the problem is our mental image of feathered dinosaurs is bad, that's surprisingly easy to combat in, in two ways. The first way is just make better paleo art. Yeah. Paleo art that shows feathered T-Rexes is scary. Some of the like the best stuff uh, I've seen comes from Mark Witten, who I will never stop praising because his art is great and I love it all. Um, but he makes feathered T-Rexes look absolutely terrifying. You can do very interesting things with their coloration that's a lot more plausible. Mm than like co brilliantly colored scales. Yeah. But you can do sort of like this uh, black and white with flashes of red sort of color scheme that looks really cool. <laughs> uh, and the silhouette, I think, is actually made better by feathers in some ways. And this is sort of when you look, like when you start looking at a part of an animal that's been reconstructed from a fossil and you're like, that doesn't look quite right. Chances are it's not. Oh, yeah. And like there was either it's got really long hands because those were actually wings or it's just not been put together correctly. So as we get better and better paleo art, I won't have to say things like T-Rex still has 30 centimeters 
your long teeth, therefore by default it is scary, which is true, <laughs> right? We'll start seeing these better representations and it'll be like, oh, that's cool as heck, still scary, and we love it. The other thing is that most kids today probably wouldn't share this opinion of feathered dinosaurs being dumb. Yeah. A lot of this is projection from millennials and older. It is. Who are hearing this for like the first time after we've formed our opinions in childhood and are trying to backdate this onto kids. Kids don't care about that. They've seen good representations of feathered dinosaurs. So really, the only thing we have to do is wait for the millennials to die. <laughs> and that's super easy. Yeah, just wait until everyone who, you know, watched Jurassic Park as an impressionable child to die, which is, yeah, I think part of what I'm realizing is, yeah, I picture T-Rex and I'm like picturing Jurassic Park T-Rex, yeah. right? I can't help it. My whole life, that's what I've thought of when I think of T-Rex. And then when I try to put feathers on that, and it yes, doesn't work. And yes, this is the problem. So this is like the argument I've put up here is Godzilla is cool, right? Right. No feathers on Godzilla. <laughs> uh, T-Rex from Jurassic Park is cool and scary and no feathers. Right. So adding feathers makes it look less like Godzilla and is bad. <laughs> that, that's such a, it's a logical, it's not logical at all, but it's an emotionally valid argument that goes along like yeah. that. Once you see like better representations, you're like, the T-Rex from Jurassic Park just looks really sad in a lot of ways. It's like, it's undernourished. <laughs> and you're like, oh, they haven't been feeding it enough goats. I mean, they probably have And like, it's mangy, like all of its feathers have fallen off and its <laughs> skin is all craggly and weird. And you're like, what's happened? Well, there you go. So people just need the correct images to be put in front of them. I think that's actually one of the really strong arguments here. Yeah. And I think it re can really turn someone around on the idea of a T-Rex. However, it can do a lot more ba uh, a lot more damage when you show them these bad representations mm. and that's just getting reaffirmed all yeah. the time. Yeah. Feathers. I've gone on way too long. Why don't we toss this over to featured creatures? Featured creatures, the creatures that are featured. Michaela, what have you brought for us this week? I have brought us Ankyornis. <laughs> Ankyornis huxleyi, a chompy boy theropod from the late Jurassic of China. Discovered by uncredited farmers, the remarkable holotype fossil was sold and would later be described by Zhu Jing in 2009. Zhu Jing is also one of my paleontology heroes. Love him. This was an itty bitty theropod, only about 40 centimeters long. A lot of that's still tail, because we're in the so tail of theropods. Tail. Yeah. And weighing somewhere around 250 grams. So small! I love how accurate they try to get with these two. Right? Like, You're, they're like, well, it's small. We can just say the number. Yeah. You're like, mm, all right. Anki is Greek for nearby, and Ornus comes from the Greek for bird, giving nearly a bird. The specific name honors Thomas Henry Huxley, an early champion. Yeah, of the idea that birds descended from dinosaurs. Which is nice. Yeah, I like this name. There are a lot of specimens. Yeah. So many. <laughs> Probably many more than we even know about. But uh, I think in 2010, there was a museum of nature in China that was reported to have 255 specimens, which is crazy. Where did they come from? Where did they come from? Yeah. So they're they're very small. It's like the size of a crow, basically, mm -hmm. this guy. Um, anytime it says that it had four wings, I just... You expect it to be like an insect like and have six limbs? I'm, I'm picturing like a dragonfly, yeah. basically. And what they mean is that there are feathers on both of the arms and legs. Mm -hmm. Just like Microraptor. Just like Microraptor. This is very similar to Microraptor. It is very similar it's to Microraptor. so micro similar to Microraptor. I was reading this and I'm like, I feel like I've done this. <laughs> <laughs> but that's fine. 
Right. So as you said, about 40 centimeters long, the wingspan was like 50 centimeters, which is crazy for your wings. I don't know. Is that normal for birds? For wingspan to be larger than like the bird is long? Modern day birds, 100%. Yeah. Right. Uh, Like older theropods with longer tails. I feel Mm -hmm. like it's about right. I feel like this is wider than you might expect. Maybe just because like we're not at the great stage of great flyers at this point. No, 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 no. So like maybe having longer wings is helpful so that you can... (laughs) maybe get a bit more lift or something? I don't know that there was a lot of lift happening. A bit more drag as you're falling (laughs) through the air? Yeah. So yeah, lots of feathers. Feathers on the head, neck, on the arms, on the body, on the legs, on the tail. Maybe there was a crest on the head. Mm -hmm. And then there's different types of feathers. And like, I really tried not to get too far into this, but there's like some longer ones and then some more downy kind of feathers. Just like a big feather fun time. So yeah, the wings were like, not great for flying. <laughs> they were. We can yeah. call them wings because they were arms with feathers on them. Yeah. I really started to have sort of like an existential crisis about what is a wing. And what is a feather? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is really like, I'm glad I didn't spend 20 minutes on that because I could have. <laughs> Yeah. Because it's such a deep topic. And there are so many different types and we found so many weird ones. Like we talked about Ichi way back in the day. Oh, yeah. uh, With I think the naming episode, which was like number four or something. Mm -hmm. Um, But it had crazy feathers on it too. (laughs) It had these giant like tail feathers, like three of them. Oh, yeah. And you're like, what? (laughs) What? How did this happen? Yeah. 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 But yeah, if an arm has feathers on it, does that make it a wing? What if it does it can't be used for flight? Is it a wing still? Their feet even had feathers on them. Yes. Which is which is pretty crazy. Just so many feathers. Yeah, it seems like once feathers were a thing, it sort of was just like a an idea of, okay, feathers are good, feathers everywhere. And then eventually it was like, well, it turns out I'm I'm stepping in a bunch of mud or like dead things that I want to eat. Yeah. And then I'm just carrying them around with me and that's like not great because I've got all these feathers that are just covered with muck. Yeah, which seems like it makes everything harder. Mm. And yeah, I mean, Anchiornis had uh, very long legs mm-hmm. which would normally indicate a fast runner, but if you're covered in feathers that are covered in muck, sounds like it's gonna make it pretty tough for you to run. But it was so much better to have feathers everywhere than to not have them. Mm. So like, that I, that seems to be the evolutionary through line of like, have feathers everywhere, that's best, and then eventually start scaling them back around the legs. Yeah, and and say like, okay, maybe not. Yeah, maybe not the legs. Maybe we don't need them literally everywhere. Yes, yes. And that's a a good call. It was a good good choice. Yeah, so technically they had three fingers, but two Mm -hmm. of them were bound together by like skin and tissues Mm -hmm. and stuff of the wing. Um, And from what I could tell, the sort of consensus seems to be that juveniles may have been able to use the feathers to get like a bit of flight going because like they're smaller and they're lighter. So, you know, it's better. But then the adults were too hair too heavy for that i mean maybe there's some like assisted running up an incline happening Ring assisted inclined running right. where it's the, the great acronym that oh. really doesn't translate very well no, across audio but w-a-i-r is yeah. very common yeah uh and there's there's some really neat um videos that you can find of like pheasants i think running up nearly 90 degree inclines because they're very bad flyers right but they can flap while they're running right and that makes 
such a difference. Right. You're and so much more agile. I mean, it makes sense. And like, yeah, the reason that we have this idea of this wing-assisted incline running is because there are things that are doing that today. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, if you've got feathers all over your arms, well, you're going to use them for something. Yeah. Um. There's, there's a lot of information here about color, which is exciting. Yes. So they... The one way that they're different than Microraptor is that we know a bit more about the coloration and it's not entirely black. Yeah, there's a, there's a, some stuff that's not black. So there was an initial study done in 2010 using melanosomes where... Okay, so most of the body was determined to be like yes. gray and black. Yeah. <laughs> but then there was some reddish brown coloring on the crown and the face. Mm -hmm. And then the wing feathers were white with gray or black tips. So that's exciting. There are some really nice... Nice and very terrible renditions of Anchiornis. Because, <laughs> uh, like, people don't know how to draw feathers. I don't know how to draw feathers. No. Which is why I'm not drawing feathered dinosaurs. I'm not an artist. Uh, <laughs> But some people have done just murder on these things. And some of them make them look like reasonable birds. And you're like, oh, this makes so much sense. It's a bird with a long tail and it's weird. Yep. And it runs around a lot more than it flies. Yep. Because it can't really fly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, yeah, there was another study a little later that didn't find any evidence of the reddish brown coloring. But it's possible that the two specimens were different ages or mm -hmm. they were from different regions. And so there was differences in coloring between regions. Who's to say? But I mean, yeah, it's exciting. Gives you a pretty good idea of uh, what this fun little guy looked like. Yeah, very yeah. Nice. I did find a little bit of popular culture. Excellent. That's good for something that was discovered in 2009. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't expecting too much. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, the Anchiornis was depicted in a documentary called Flying Monsters 3D as prey for Darwinopterus. Oh. For whatever reason. Okay. I don't know why, but here we are. And then in Rise of the Animals, Triumph of the Vertebrates, which is another documentary, it was shown as one of the earliest birds to fly through Jurassic forests. So that probably didn't age so well. Jurassic. So one of the problems with being a flyer in the Jurassic is that pterosaurs have had such a head start on you that you want to get they're up in exploiting the air. a lot of the niches there. Yeah. It's just, it's harder to do that when pterosaurs are so successful. Successful. Yeah, yeah. Not impossible. Like, birds did fly in the Cretaceous, definitely. But also there were a bunch of pterosaurs flying around. And it makes it hard. Yeah, and depicting them as, like, swooping through the forests. Mm. Probably wrong. Yeah. It was, like, a more of Picture an awkward... A yeah. Yes, yes. Like a, a chicken who's not good at flying. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so... Do you like the name? I do. I think it's a near bird. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, nearly a bird. Sure, why not? And I like that it's Greek and Greek for once. It's incredible. True. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Huxley eyes, cumbersome to say. Absolutely. And it always is yeah. when you put in an eye at the end of words, you know? It's but... not so cumbersome to say as our next featured oh creature you're... that you're going to have to say. Oh, your smug little face is not <laughs> making me happy. It's <laughs> good. But yeah, I think it's nice to honor this guy who, yeah, like you said, like a hundred years ago was like, hey! Hey everyone, Look I think I've got something interesting. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Everyone just ignored him because no. dinosaurs were old news. Yeah. No. Uh, I think for a voice, mm -hmm. it, I was going to do sort of like a crow. It's like a, it's a little crow. It's like a black yeah. crow sized thing with wings. Yeah, 100%. I was trying to think about what a crow sound like and uh, it started to go real parrot on me. Okay, there is a raven on YouTube called Fable. Oh. And she is so sweet. <laughs> uh, and what she says is boop, boop. <laughs> That's adorable. And it's one of my favorite things. She's so good. She's the best. And she also says hello. Uh, Ravens can talk? Yes. What? Yes. <laughs> My mind is blown. She's the best. Wow. And everyone needs to see Fable. Uh, anyway, I would not mind it if Anki Yorna said boop boop. Boop boop. 
<laughs> uh, kills me. Oh. oh man, there's uh, kiwi and pixel are budgies. Budgies oh. definitely talk. Yeah. Or are they parakeets? Are those the same thing? Uh, I don't know. Some sort of small parrot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, I think it's it's pick. Uh, no, kiwi. One of them's very good at talking uh, and loves his reflection oh. and has been taught to do various things. One of my favorite is saying uh, is mimicking a a phone ringing. So when I say bring <laughs> bring, imagine it's actually the sound of a phone ring. Wow. But he goes bring bring. Hello, this is Bird Phone. <gasps> and it's the best. <gasps> oh my gosh. Yeah, birds can talk and they're great. Also, they're jerks. They are. Yeah. Yeah, like an, like an 80 year old parrot. No, no, oh, no, no, no. Those boop boops are a lot less cute. <laughs> and I don't know why people get parrots. They last, they live they so long. Live, it's a lifetime commitment. No, and like I can't. And you're putting it in a cage and just no. And then no. you have to like put it in your will. Because if you die, someone needs to take care of this parrot that could easily outlive you. And could really hate the person that it's gift willed to. Yeah. Oh, man. oh thanks. Anyways. <laughs> I've brought Colinda Dromius. <laughs> Kalindodromius zabicalicus, a fancy boy ornithischian from the mid to late Jurassic of Russia. The species was described by Pascal... Uh, Godefroy? Godefroy? Is he he's probably Russian? I don't know. No, he's Belgian. Oh, because so it could... Because oh, it, it looks French to me. Like, yeah, I think it is French. Yeah. Anyways, A.L. in 2014, and many specimens seem to have been recovered by him and his team starting around 2010. The dinosaur was about 1.5 meters long, and though no weight estimate is given, it was probably about 10 kilograms, similar to Thicodontosaurus, another bipedal ornithischian. The creature was found in the in the Kalinda locality of Siberia. Combined with the Greek Dromius for runner, gives running animal from Kalinda. The specific name references one of the districts or cries in Russia, the Zabaikalikus cry or the Transbaikal cry. So <sighs> named because it is past Lake Baikal. Not bordering though, because that would be too sensible. That's a long walk to, to explain all of that name. <laughs> This is one of the Neornithischians, which is basically all the Ornithischians that weren't stegosaurs or ankylosaurs. But one of the earlier ones, so one of the, it's like pretty small, it's bipedal, and doesn't have a lot of specializations. There seems to be like a really common uh, body plan or bow plan of small, uh, I guess small, I'm gesturing at like 30 centimeters when I should be <laughs> one and a half meters, right? You, you were doing like cat size, when and you should be doing like tiger size, maybe? Tiger's a bit big. Okay, fine. What's a smaller... I don't know, lynx? Like, yeah, we're looking at like Great Dane sort of length, right? right? I don't know how big a tiger is. (laughs) Bigger than this. Anyway, small-ish, uh, bipedal, and then has, like, one weird thing about it. For, so for Thicodontosaurus, it's got, like, these weird vampire-type teeth, but mm. on the bottom. For Cetacosaurus, it's actually got two weird things, so good job it. Um, it's got the cheek spikes, oh, yeah. and it's also got the tail filament thing. Mm. And we've studied studied its butt a lot, which is good for us. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> the other special thing was that they were very abundant. The cool thing for Kalindodromius is that it's got feathers? What is a feather? Okay, so these are not structured feathers. These don't have veins coming off of a central rachis. It's got filaments of some kind, possibly analogous to what paleontologists call proto-feathers. Right. And there's this whole, like, development of feathers where it's, like, the central and then the veins and then the ordered veins. You can't fly with just any feather. This could definitely not fly with these things. But this isn't just 
like a few quills on the tail sort of Satakasaurus nonsense. This is all over the body. Right. This is a fluffy boy, which is weird. <laughs> That's fun. So this is really like one of the best arguments for um, feathers being basal or shared across all dinosaurs. Mm. So like sauropods may have retained some of this. They're really big. <laughs> feathers don't really help them in a lot of the same no. ways that they help other things. And they do use up like resources that your body could be using to get bigger. Yeah. So it seems like big sauropods probably didn't want feathers. They didn't need help staying warm. No. They weren't incubating their eggs because they would have squashed them. Yeah. They weren't flying. No. So they didn't really have use for feathers. But Calindodromius, it's small. It needs to incubate some eggs. It needs to stay warm itself. Having these sort of proto feathers makes a lot of sense for mm-hmm. it. And then, as I mentioned earlier, the fact that we've also got these on pterosaurs, we've got the pycnofibers, really seems like, yes, one of the earliest dinosaurs probably had something feather adjacent. Right. Or could have very easily expressed that. Maybe it wasn't everywhere. But again, it seems like once you have feathers, it's really nice to have them everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Like, just go overboard before you go underboard. Right, you say, this seems to be working. Let's go crazy. Yeah, exactly. All in. I really like these little ornithischians. They're very cute. Um, (laughs) And the fact that they're just, it seems like a really adaptable body plan where you just change one or two things and now you're a whole different thing and you (laughs) can exploit a new niche. Yeah. They're like, yeah, go for it. Go crazy. Uh, These are not looking as cool. And this is one of the harder things to make look cool. Like T-Rex, I think it's relatively easy to put feathers on it and actually make it look cool. This is not that. This is just (laughs) filaments jutting out at all different directions. There's also stuff in the paper that describes this that I have to take like, not issue with, but it's like, ah, these could be analogous to proto feathers. And it's showing like clusters of filaments. So like groups of eight. So it really seems like it had almost like doll hair type of thing where like there's a a small area where a bunch of filaments come out of and then a little bit of distance between that to the next cluster Uh. but like they don't share a common root like a doll hair would or like a feather might Mm. so then the paper's like oh look proto feathers and i'm like ah (laughs) anyway it's one of the best arguments for all dinosaurs being feathered. So when we start talking about that, it really is a fairly recent argument. It's only, what, uh, seven years old at this point? Yeah. So that's neat. And that's why we don't know a lot about whether the earliest dinosaurs did or did not have feathers. Got to find more stuff. Uh, for popular culture, I did not find anything. I didn't look too hard. Uh, yeah, I'm probably not worth it. Clindodromius. Yeah. For a name? Uh, I, I'm in love with this name. Uh, <laughs> I've heard various people really butcher this and call it like Kulin, Dodromaeus uh, or something. And I'm like, oh no, 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 no. Kalindodromaeus, whatever. I, I'm also, I don't know how to say Kalinda properly because I'm not familiar with Russian. Yeah, but I, I think you look at the words and I mean, this just happened to me. And there's a lot of letters happening. Yes. And it's pretty overwhelming at first. But then when you really start to break it down, it, it makes sense. And yeah, I think trying to put weird emphasis in places like you're just making it harder on yourself for no reason yeah i'm actually quite a fan of this i think this is like that pachycephalosaurus phenomenon Mm. where it's really intimidating to look at yeah but you can break it down you can understand what these mean and the etymology nerd in me is very pleased by it (laughs) uh i i don't think it was discovered in the kalinda locality so i'm not really but i don't really know what the difference between the locality and a russian cry is Mm. (sighs) (laughs) 
both are roughly analogous to states or provinces, but there's also like a different sort of administrative unit I'm sure that Russia this, has. This is a hole that we do not need to go down. Uh, yeah, I didn't feel like going down no, any further. That's fine, especially because like uh, the Zabaikalikas cry is very uninhabited. Right. There are some people around Lake Baikal, but like beyond that. Uh... <laughs> This is distinctly east of there, and no, 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 no. no one wants to go there. For a voice, what is it for this I mean, one? does it have a Russian voice? Have oh, we done that? I don't think we've done a Russian <laughs> voice, and I can, I'm more than happy to do a Russian voice for this. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, are you familiar with the musical Chess at all? Okay, this is... A- this is our long episode. Who yeah. cares? Um, I The only familiarity I have with that musical is that one time I was at a trivia night and the music round, all of the songs were somehow chess related. No way. So there was like the Muse song Knights of Sidonia. Okay. Because it's like knights. And right. then there were other other uh, Castle on the Hill maybe by Ed Sheeran and things like that and the final song was from the musical Chess which I had never heard of but it had stayed with me because I was like who knows about this? Turns out I do. Yep. Uh, I know one of the songs from it. Okay. And so I think the voice for Kalinda Dromaeus was obviously something along the lines of We wish no must make our disgust with this abuse perfectly clear. (laughs) What is this music? I mean, it's about chess. We're what am here I asking? For chess, <laughs> are the US? If so, why foul the atmosphere? So, some of the characters in this musical are Russian. That's what I'm. Yes. That makes sense, I guess. Soviet at the time. Right, of course. Uh, is it any good? Have you seen the whole thing? No, I haven't. <laughs> I don't think it's very good at all. <laughs> I know two songs from it, and they're, I, I think they're fun. I guess I know One Night in Bangkok a little bit. Coming up next time. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to be talking about why dinosaurs are so big, and which dinosaur is the biggest. Oh, and therefore the coolest. The best one. Yeah. yeah. I think we'll probably be doing, like, biggest sauropod and biggest theropod for featured creatures. Oh, and then make them fight. Exactly, yeah. I mean, we know who wins. <laughs> Do we? Well, I guess it depends how big they are. Well, I, okay, so sauropods are the green type, and the they're resilient, and... Yeah. Uh, you know, theropods are the red type. They're well, yeah, they're ferocious. Gonna, they're going to bite through the shields. Yeah, they're going to bite through the shields <laughs> and the armor and, you know, probably do, like, damage over time if oh. we're using our Jurassic World Alive parlance here. Yep. So, I think the theropod wins, I guess. I think so. Mm, rough. Spoilers for next time. <laughs> Until then, listeners can always reach out. Again, Jurassic World Alliance or our email is dinosaurspodcast at gmail.com. Twitter is at the dinosaurs. And until next time, Osteo Vista. Vista.